You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 113. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Lynn McLaughlin and Amber Raymond about big emotions, specifically helping our little ones and maybe not so little ones deal with their tough emotions. It feels especially relevant right now with back to school around the corner, and I know in our home that can be a time of mixed emotions. So if that sounds like you, stay tuned because we've got a lot of information that can help today. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Welcome to Wanna Be Minimalist, the show for busy families who are tired of the chaos of their overwhelming piles of stuff, are fed up with weekends of cleaning house instead of having fun, and are ready to live an intentional and fulfilling life they are excited to wake up for. Each week on this show, I will offer tips on how to live an amazing life with less stuff, physical stuff, mental stuff, and emotional stuff. It's all holding you back, so I share what I have done in my own life to let it go. And it's not just me, there are amazing guests too. Do you want to stop just getting by each day and surviving until bedtime? Are you ready to take control and start living the vibrant and joy-inducing life that you deserve? Well then, let's do this! Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. Today's interview was a lot of fun. For starters, it was the first time I had interviewed two people at the same time on my show. And second, I absolutely love the topic that we chatted about. I mean, who couldn't use some help with teaching our little ones about emotional literacy? It just doesn't seem like this stuff was taught to us parents when we were growing up. And so we're having to learn it too, so that we can model it and teach it. But before we dive in, I want to say thank you for joining me. If you are returning, I am so happy you're back. And if you're new, well, welcome. I am truly honored that you've tuned in today. On this show, I do my best to bring you interesting information that can help you in your home and your life, whether that be decluttering, organizing, and creating systems to be able to do more of what you love and less of the stuff that you just tolerate, or like with today, bringing you an expert guest to help you in different areas. And if you like what you hear, can you do me a favor? Can you please take a minute to rate and review the show? It helps me know what you like, and it helps me reach more people so that we can help them have happier lives too. And I want to go ahead and steal a line from Legally Blonde. I love this movie, and I just, this popped in my head as I was talking about this today. So I made it fit with the show. Okay, here it goes. Decluttering gives you endorphins, and endorphins make you happy. And happy people don't just spread hate and unhappiness. They just don't. All right. I know I tweaked it a lot, but go with me on it, please. I am a big believer that when we live clutter-free, we are happier and the world could always use more happy people, which is the perfect segue to my guest today. Lynn McLaughlin is a proud mother of three adult children. Professionally, she served on three different school boards as a superintendent of education, principal, vice principal, teacher, and educational consultant. Now retired from formal education, Lynn is pursuing her mission to lead and empower people to make conscious and positive choices when faced with a crisis. 
In addition to hosting her weekly podcast, Taking the Helm, she is a best-selling author. And so when she felt called to write a children's book about overcoming anxiety and other big emotions, she reached out to her niece, Amber, for her subject matter expertise. Amber Raymond is a master's level social worker specializing in self-awareness and self-development. She's an advocate for non-conventional evidence-based coping strategies and identifies as a loving and committed mother and friend. Amber is passionate about child mental health, lifelong self-care practices, self-exploration, self-love and well-being, and she is always on the lookout for new ways to learn and grow. So give this episode a listen, and when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 113 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Lynn's website, her podcast, and their children's book, I Have Choices. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 113. And now let's get on to our conversation. Well, hello, Lynn and Amber. Welcome to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, it is my pleasure. And this is going to be fun. This is the first time I've had uh, two guests on the show at once. So listeners, forgive us if we stumble a little bit, but we will be doing just fine. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about our topic today. So why don't each of you in turn take a minute? Uh, Lynn, we'll start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what kind of led you on this journey to working with your niece, Amber? Yeah. Oh my, it's been so exciting. So I'm a lifelong educator. I retired actually from my full-time career just three years ago. I served in, my goodness, teacher, consultant, vice principal, principal, uh, superintendent of education, mostly responsible for special education services, which which had an envelope over mental health as well. And of course, I'm a parent. I've got three grown children. My oldest son was just married last weekend, just so beautiful. Um, so uh, what led me to this really was I guess in my last three years, and I do teach at the college currently in post uh, post secondary. At the end of COVID, we were one of the first colleges to go back to in person learning in September of this actually school year. And I mean, it was very very clear to me before I retired the number of students and young students kindergarten students, early years, I mean, primary students, grade one, two, three, really start struggling with anxiousness before COVID was on the rise. And we were changing things and offering additional resources and, and those kinds of things. And then in, in our in our own family, we had people who were struggling with anxiousness and anxiety and, and some mental health challenges as they grew older. And, and I was just really grappling with, I wrote a book about a mother and an adult son, you know, all of the trials and tribulations that the two of them went through. And it's based on real life experiences after a number of interviews. But I was really stuck with, let's, what can we do to be proactive? What can we do so that we get to kids before they're close to that ledge or falling over that ledge? And it took me back to these little, little people, four, five, six, seven, eight, who are already struggling and struggling even more, many of them, because of all of the factors associated to COVID. And I thought, what can we do to be proactive? And I called Amber when I was out for a walk one day. She was in her master's of education. I said, Amber, I'm thinking about writing this book series. I really, really would love for you to help me. You've got that clinical piece, the specific strategies. And she jumped right in. So that's my background. And really it was, let's, I mean, we have to have, we have to have systems in place for, to be responsive, to provide supports, but why can't we try to shut it down as best we can before kids start to struggle? That's where I come from. (laughs) Fantastic. And Amber, you? 
just very well said, Antlin. Like everything you shared, it was like spot on for like what I was thinking in terms of the education and the things that kids need to really learn early on. So like I like you guys said, I'm I have my master's in social work. And what really led me into social work was my own, like my personal struggles as a child and young adult. Like, don't get me wrong, I was blessed with an incredible family. My family taught me to give back to the community. We did lots of fundraising, cancer walkathons, and things of that kind. And I learned a lot of empathy and really developed a deep concern for the needs of others. So for me, the major challenge as a child was not understanding what was going on inside of me. So I really lacked that self-awareness and basic understanding of the different feelings, thoughts, and moods that I was experiencing. So I was often confused and I really was feeling like unworthy. I had unhealthy friendships and basically I just felt like I was like not good enough. Um, Once I had my son, I snapped out of that mayhem that I was experiencing. And I started looking back at all the poor decisions that I had made out of fear and anxiety and how they just snowballed into more significant issues in my life. And that's when I started working with a social worker reluctantly because uh, my family noticed I needed the help. So I went and like followed their guidance and working with the social worker really changed my life in such a powerful way that I decided that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to follow in her footsteps and help people navigate those difficult times that I had also had to navigate right so basically my my purpose in life now is to help people find love for themselves and achieve like a joy-filled life and in terms of the book I think the idea of writing the book like Aunt Lynn said was when I got the call from her I was uh pretty surprised because historically like I just kind of seen my Aunt Lynn as this like I would look up to her like, oh my God, she's like been through so much and she's written all these bestsellers. So for her to reach out to me and like want my insight and my knowledge, I was so honored. So like, how could I say no? Even though I doubted myself, I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough for this, <laughs> but I was like, yeah, let's do it because that's my my purpose in life is to help spread this knowledge and share this information and my experience with others in hopes that I can help people prevent all the, the negative feelings and the the heartache that I went through as a child and a young adult. Oh, well, you both have very fascinating backgrounds and <laughs> I appreciate that you are using those backgrounds to help others. I think that's, that's wonderful. And I think we're in very capable hands here today. So <laughs> you both mentioned the book. Let's talk about that a little bit. Actually, before we get into the book, I want to just have a moment. Amber, it's so funny. Like, I think that a lot of us go through what you said there when you were surprised and you kind of doubted yourself and you have someone that you look up to who has reached out to you. And I think that's so wonderful. First off that your aunt reached out to you, uh, to have you help with this book. And I, you know, I'm really interested to get to talk about it, but I just, I think a lot of us understand and relate to that. So I just wanted to, you know, just have a moment there because I think that's, I still struggle with that sometimes going, Oh wait, I am an adult. Yeah. I, I, it's it, Oh, right. I forgot sometimes. And it can be really easy to kind of stay in that, that moment of, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I wanted to make a point that we've all felt that I think at some point in our lives. So I'm with you on that, but let's talk about the book. Okay. So your book is called, I have choices, the power of thought. And I understand that this is the first in a series. And the point of the book, I think, is to help parents and guardians teach their children how to manage their emotions. And so you talked a little bit about what your inspiration was for that, but how did you translate maybe that inspiration into writing the book and and how did we get here today? Okay, let me jump in. Uh, So we, Amber and I brainstormed 10 possible, I mean, get the whole premise for us was not just to, to help 
parents and guardians, children, educators. But I, I think, you know, I'm obviously older than the two of you. And I would say almost all the way down to your generation, we didn't talk about our emotions growing up. It was the suck it up buttercup generations, right? So, you know, I could say to my kids who are adults, go, you have a choice, go ahead and make a choice and, you know, try to empower them. But what does that actually look like in terms of a process that we can teach our children and then adults can learn to model for them? So we brainstorm these 10 possible, not just titles, but strategies, specific strategies that a child can use that an adult could teach that could help them through any situation where they would be feeling an emotion and emotions are okay that was the first thing we, we wanted people to, to know emotions are all right we all have them but how do we take that feeling of worry uh, I'm worried I'm fearful I'm angry and translate it into a learning experience or something positive so that so the first book we came up with was I have choices and like I said earlier it's easy to say well, okay here's your choices but we were walking through on this amazing fictitious planet we could talk about how we created all of that with our our, uh, our incredible illustrator. But at the end of the of the story, every child goes off to a fictitious place where they can all find their place and is faced with a situation that every single one of them is going to face. And then there's worry and there's fear. And we walk them through a four step. I think it's four steps in the first book because we're up to the third and fourth books now writing them. Process where they can actually practice it and use it so it becomes intrinsic and something that they just eventually we hope will pull out naturally and use in any given situation. And by the time the book series is done, there's 10 specific strategies. Some will work for some people, some will work for others. And we hope it's going to be much more of a proactive uh, way for our kids to learn and to think and to behave and to and to respond and all of those other things. Oh, that's wonderful. Because I do, and like you were saying in, in your intro, the anxiety, I mean, you can just feel it on the rise. Like you can just feel it when you go out into the world. It is almost palpable how, you know, it, people are just kind of having all of these emotions come up from these last few years of being, you know, under worry and fear and stress and unsuredness. And then, you know, just not understanding or not being around other people. So we've kind of come into this us versus them mentality, I feel like. And so it's really interesting. I think this is coming at a really good time when even, yes, we as adults are dealing with a ton of emotions that we're not sure how to express sometimes either. And so, yes, while it will be good to you know, teach our children. Sometimes we need to know first. <laughs> and so I think, but I think as you know, I read different books and watch different movies. I get a different, you know, with my daughter, I have a nine-year-old, so I, we get different meanings from it, right? She gets one message and I get another. And I think that that is great in that. So we talk about managing emotions. Does this go into like emotional literacy and what does that mean to you? And how do we teach that to our child? Amber, is that your realm? Um, I believe so. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that the, what makes this book so special is that it is like goal oriented. It will provide the concrete tools that parents, guardians, mental health professionals, like anybody who really works with children, it will give them concrete tools, like Antlin said. So the book will focus heavily on emotionally liter emotional literacy, which for me is basically the ability to perceive, use, understand, manage, and handle all of our emotions, whether they're positive or negative, in a healthy way that doesn't really negatively impact our lives or those around us. So uh, being able to express our emotions in healthy ways and be, being able to refrain from yelling and name calling when we're mad at someone, for example, like those are really important things that 
everyone needs to know, right? Like if we can help everyone in the world learn that one thing, it would be wonderful. So I think like the three things that we were really hoping to drive home with this were self-awareness, empathy, and self-compassion. Like self-awareness, like for that, I would say that's being able to recognize our body signs that we're feeling a certain way, whether it's like your face getting hot when you're mad or like a feeling of butterflies in your stomach when you're nervous or maybe a pain in your chest and your heart when you're feeling like guilty for something or like you need to forgive somebody for something. You know, like everybody has different ways of like receiving messages from their body. And I really think that teaching kids to recognize those bodily sensations would be helpful in helping them manage and understand what's going on inside of them. In terms of empathy, I think like for me, empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and really understand what they're going through. It's basically the ability to feel what someone else is feeling. And um, empathetic people are able to connect with others on a deeper level and be more helpful and involved and invested in other people. So with everything that's going on in the world right now, and you see so many people just not paying attention to other people's like feelings or anything, like not even investing in it, in like the well-being of the greater society. If we could like teach people to be more empathetic, I think that it would be like really beneficial for the entire world be honest. Um, And in terms of self-compassion, like self-compassion allows us to give ourselves the same kindness and care that we give to good friends and loved ones. Because oftentimes we tell our friends to be kinder to themselves, you know, take it easy, be patient with yourself, love yourself, you're doing the best you can. But then we turn around and go home and we're like, oh, you shouldn't have ate that or you shouldn't have said that or whatever, you know? So self-compassion, like learning to be patient with ourselves, like we are with others is important too. We're really hoping to help just build up the general emotional intelligence with our book. Okay. I love that. The one that really sticks out a lot to me is that self-compassion. I believe that's probably the one I struggle with the most. And I'm, I don't know that I am unique in that because it is easier to be harder on yourself. (laughs) I think it's sometimes. So do you have any strategies that we as moms can use for self-compassion? Because I did hear one time that the way we speak to our children is how they grow up to speak to themselves. I don't know if that's true or not. I think it was, you know, maybe some Instagram quote I read somewhere, but if you could speak to that, if that's true, and then if there's ways that we we can start to be a little bit more compassionate with ourselves and, and uh, then just make our own lives. We will be right back. And now back to the show. Working like in private practice and with a lot of the clients, like this is a big thing that we discuss. I'd say I probably say this speech like three days a week, at least. Well, the way that our brain works, like in our development, like even when we're in utero, we are absorbing what's going on around us. So up until the age of six, we are basically like sponges. Like that's something that everybody always says, but anything that is said to us, we take at face value. So if someone says, oh, you're stupid and they're just like joking around, then a kid's like, okay, I'm stupid. And you just take that at face value, as opposed to like a parent who's like, oh, you're beautiful. Like you, you're so good at doing that. You're so kind. Like you grow up and think I'm beautiful. I'm so kind. And then, so up until the age of six, it's, we just take everything as fact. We trust everyone around us. There's no reason not to, you know, like if that's your parents, you believe everything they say. So yes, I absolutely believe that those turn into our core beliefs and it, it also grows into our inner critics. So if growing up, you're hearing a lot of negative feedback then you're going to have that inner critic who is repeating all those things you heard. 
So if you're hearing positive things, then you're going to have a more positive inner critic. In terms of a way to overcome that, like awareness is the biggest thing, like being aware. So if you recognize that your inner critic or your ego, whatever you want to call it, is being negative to just be like aware of it instead of believing everything that it says. Like once you're aware of it, you can fix it. It's like going to the, like you hear a sound in your car. You don't know what that sound is. You can't have it fixed. But once you bring it to the the shop, they can fix it for you, right? Like once you figure out what it is. So it's the same kind of thing with an inner critic. Once you recognize that there's an issue, you can do something about it. And then it's just correcting it. And I think gratitude is a huge thing for that as well. Like paying attention to the things that you do have in your lives, the things that you are successful at. So if your inner critic is out there, like saying something negative, you can counter and be like, no, actually, I'm really good at this. I've gotten really good at this. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I like it. Yeah. And I really like that analogy you used for like, you might not know what the problem is, but someone does, right? There is someone out there that has studied this, that has, you know, has done this before that can help you along your way. So I really like that analogy of the taking your car into the shop. Lynn, did you have anything to add to that? Well, Amber has just helped me see this in a totally different light. I've I've always been a go, 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 do, do, do kind of person. And, you know, I, I've, I've learned, uh, you know, after a brain tumor diagnosis nine, nine years ago, and it's all great, but, you know, sometimes you have to be stopped dead in your tracks before you wake up and see the beauty around you and be present. But I was really caught up on, I'm a planner, right? So Amber, we've got to have the draft done at this date. Uh, we've, we've got the illustrator. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the launch date. Well, things didn't exactly go as planned, right? We're, we're all in this supply and demand. Things aren't happening as quickly as they have. And I was beating myself up. No, we have to release one. We ended up postponing our launch date. We postponed it twice, I think. And Amber was just so chill. <laughs> she was so chill about it. It's all right. It, it'll happen when it's meant to be. So she's been awesome with in helping me have more self-compassion for myself and um and really a, just a reminder that we're all human we all make mistakes and it's okay oh that one yes that we're all human one i've been hearing that a few times lately so i think it's um you know uh i don't know if you know what people believe a higher power the universe whatever kind of popping that up in my head. It's, I think this is maybe like the fourth time I've heard it in a couple of weeks. So apparently I need to hear that message that we're all human. I feel like I'm doing a little bit better now, but I don't know. Sometimes those examples and, uh, uh, ideas do kind of keep popping out. And it's the things I think that we either need to hear that then pop out. Cause there's lots of things that were just said, but for some reason, that's the one that I'm hearing. Right. So I find that interesting when that kind of, um, those kinds of things happen in the world. One thing we kind of, you touched on a little bit, both of you, is this idea of negative emotions. I think there's two trains of thought here. So maybe you guys can help me. I think they lead to the same place, but one being like the emotion itself is not necessarily negative. It might make us not feel great, but maybe it shows us something or, but the acting out on it, right? Like obviously if we act out in anger and we hit somebody or hurt somebody or say something mean, that's not great. But how do we you know, deal with this idea that an emotion is just the way we feel. So maybe it's not necessarily bad that I'm angry. It'll show me that I was hurt or that, you know, I don't know. How, do, how does that play out? 
Because I struggle with that a little bit. Well, I think that's the purpose. And Amber, you can jump in with the more uh, clinical piece. But I think that's the purpose of what we're doing is to try to teach those strategies to say, it's okay to feel that anger. It's, it's, it's okay to feel fear. But how do I translate that into something that I've learned from to say, now I'm aware that this is a trigger for me. Let's just talk about anxiety, for example. I am aware, uh, I have test anxiety. Let's just use that as an, as, a, as an example. I'm aware that I have test anxiety. I'm aware that this is the way my body begins to feel. This is the way I physically, emotionally, mentally begin to feel. Now, what are some strategies I can put in place knowing that that's about to happen so I can go into that test and I can blow it away, right? So I, I think that answers your question, but maybe Amber, you could you could jump in and be a little bit more elaborate. I'd love to. <laughs> earlier when I actually said like positive and, neg uh, and negative, I was like, I wanted to correct myself so bad because I totally agree with you, Deanna. Like there is no real negative emotion because every emotion has a purpose, whether it's like when you're angry, it's because something is being done to you that you are at your core, not okay with. So your body is getting angry because it wants you to do something to get yourself out of that situation, whether it's to speak up for yourself. Like a lot of times I get angry when something's being done to me, but I don't have the courage to speak my truth in that given situation. So that's one thing for anger. It is absolutely for me, it's more the way that you handle the emotion. So it becomes a bad thing if it's not something that you can manage without hurting feelings, whether they're your own feelings or someone else's feelings. Okay. I love that. Thank you for clearing that up. Cause that makes a lot of sense. Um, how you kind of you, both of you kind of put that together. So thank you very much. And Amber, I want to go back to one thing you had talked about. You were saying that our kids are sponges when they're younger than six. What do you, would you say for somebody who has a child that's older than six that is listening to this going, uh Oh, maybe, maybe I should have done some things different. Do you have any strategies for um, somebody in that situation? It's never too late. If it's 25 and you're like, wow, I really didn't do great when I was younger, which is very common. Like when we first have kids, a lot of the times pregnancies aren't planned. So then you have this baby and you're still growing up yourself. I've probably said this on every podcast we've done, but I think that kids raise us as much as we raise them. Like we grow up and we become better humans mm -hmm. because we are, we're driven to become better humans so we can be good parents and show the ones we love the beauty of the world, right? So I think that oftentimes most parents have some kind of regrets from when we were younger. But I also feel like everything happens for a reason and there's lessons in everything. It's just having the ability to see it for a lesson as opposed to a negative thing. So uh, in terms of like ways for parents to help their kids with those things is to just correct it. So if you see your child is being really hard on themselves, help them understand that that's not true. And a, like from my pre, from my personal experience, a lot of the things that were frustrating and caused me anger when I was younger was just being confused about what was going on inside of me. So if you see your child is having a really hard time, help them understand what's happening inside of them. Oh, I can see that you are angry, like label it for them. So that next time they're like, oh, wait, this is how I felt before. And I'm probably just angry. So I don't need to be confused this time. Like you can always undo everything. It's like learning a new language, right? So if you learn English to up until you're six years old, you can still learn French. You can still go back and relearn English, you know, like it's mm. just a new way of doing it. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I like that. Yes, of course. It's never too late. And of course, if we could all do things perfect out of the gate, that'd be wonderful. And yes, I do. I have said that myself, that my daughter is the one thing that has made me grow the most as a human, just because 
there's so many lessons that go in there. And oftentimes she is the thing holding the mirror up to myself to Mm -hmm. show me what I want to do or what I need to change. And so, yep, it's a good one. Very (laughs) struggle some days, but it's a really good one. So (laughs) awesome. Okay. How can we, so let's say uh, something very common that we've all done, even you know, everybody with the best intentions, we all lose our anger at some point, you know, lose our temper at some point because we're angry. And I think it's easy to do when we are with our families, you know, sometimes 24 seven over the last couple of years. So do you have any suggestions for dealing with mom guilt when that happens and we lose our tempers or how can we then make that a learning moment for our children? I think it's all about self. It goes back to self-compassion and empathy. And, you know, there's a moment in time where you admit, I, I made a mistake I pol- and apologize and be real and be human about it because, you know, we're the role models for our children and they can, they see us as, yeah, okay, mom makes mistakes too. Dad makes mistakes. Brothers, sisters, every family members make mistakes and that's okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's about being human as opposed to, oh, I blew it. Last weekend at my, at my son's wedding, for example, I lost my glasses just before my husband and I were getting up on the stage to say the speech. <gasps> Okay. I said to the crowd, does anybody have a pair of 2.5 lens glasses? And the father of the groom handed me his, but they weren't quite right. And yeah, I mumbled over that speech because, you know, I need notes. And I kicked myself for 20 minutes or so afterwards and then thought, nope, you know what? That was real. And all of the memories of that day, there are so many, and that'll be another one. We'll just laugh about mom losing her, her glasses. It's okay. Right? So admitting, admitting that I made a mistake, living with it, being human and Hey, let's get on with it. Yeah. Oh, and it's a good, it's great. Right. And then you show somebody else how to deal with that situation, like not that exact situation really, but like, right. You can help someone else when they misplay something or do something wrong, or just have that moment of like, okay, it's okay. We're going to move past it. And 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 you also give a message to your children that it's okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's okay. But let's talk about this when there's a blow up, when there's an explosive episode, there's a time to sit down and have that conversation and talk about it and model that for them as well. So Oh, it's great. Amber, do you have anything to add? Absolutely. Because I feel like this goes towards like forgiveness. And like all the times when you're angry or you're feeling guilty about something, it's like heavy on your heart space. And then you feel bad about it for a lot longer. But usually when you release that and you like apologize for doing something and that person is like, it's okay. Like I know, like we're only human. (laughs) Then you feel this sense of release and that pressure on your chest isn't there anymore. Like this is, I guess I'm speaking more about me, but that's how I feel like once I open up about my mistakes, mistakes, I'm able to forgive myself. And I also generally receive forgiveness from the other person or the child. And then I'm like, it's like, okay, we're back to scrap, like ground zero. There's no more anger, no more like guilt, no more shame. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Back to the start, right? Kind of start over, wipe the slate clean and, um, and then go from there. Oh, all right. Well, really nice. Tell me a little bit more about the book. Cause I feel like we've been talking about a lot of emotions, but I don't really, I want to know like about the characters in the book and kind of, you talked about what was your inspiration, but tell me a little bit more about it. Oh, we've had such fun. I, I really, <laughs> I mean, and Amber and I, we're not, we're about 45 minutes away from each other. We do a lot of this online, but such fun. So we just, we wanted to create a place where every child could fit in. So the beings on our planet called Tezra, we just, you know, made up that name, are, they're not identifiable by gender. And then Amber came up with a brilliant idea. Let's name them after crystals. And the planet is made of crystals. So there's all this connection to crystals that are unique. And just like children are, just like each one of us are. 
But then we thought, okay, so these beings, these little childlike beings, they don't know how to manage their emotions yet. So how can we show that? So they glow in the color they're feeling. So if they're feeling angry, you will see an aura around them of red. If they're feeling sad, they will have an aura of blue. If they're feeling happy and confident, they have an aura of green. So every book teaches a different emotion and we're teaching the vocabulary. We're showing them the aura. We're actually portraying because of the brilliance of our illustrator I'll just talk about in a minute. You can see the nonverbal you know, in anger, you can actually see it on the expressions of, of these beings' faces. So we had a great, a great time. And the, Amber and I, there's a, a secondary school student here in, we're in Windsor, Ontario. Kennedy Collegiate is the name of the school. And uh, she was graduating and moving on to university in a concurrent program. And I got her name from another educator. And the first time that Amber and I were online with her, we were just blown away at her talent so even though we had ideas the three of us coming together to collaborate she's taken our books to an entirely different level she's illustrated the second one she's already starting to work on the third one and her creativity is just it's just been such an inspiration to us and we also did it in french the book is available in french as well because amber is fluently bilingual i get by but not fluently but bilingual like amber is it's really really been fun and the feedback from uh, from parents, from guardians, from teachers. And we did do advanced reader copies, I just want to mention. We sent it out to a whole bunch of different people with different expertise, including clinicians, took their feedback and made some changes to 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 make sure that it was going to do what we wanted it wanted it to do. And the first book has had exceptional feedback so far. That's fantastic. Uh, Amber, anything do you want to add to that? I would love to really speak to like the way that the characters glow because I yeah. think that yeah. So like the purpose of the colorful auras for me was really to drive home the idea that we can generally recognize how someone is feeling by looking at them. Like that's that pe- that empathy piece, like being able to see how someone else is feeling. So at the beginning of the book, we prompt the readers to pay attention to the physical features like facial expressions, the aura colors and things like that to encourage that behavior in real life. Like ultimately the goal is to help this become a more of an automatic behavior for children. So if they get used to our our book line and they're used to paying attention to someone's facial expression, maybe like, I don't know, more people are in tune with energy now. Like usually you can sense if someone's grumpy just by being near them. So really helping kids know, like recognize that they can do that in the real world and make this an automatic behavior. I think it will help increase like the empathy overall. So that's something for me that like the glow is really really important to me. Yeah. I like that idea. And I, I wish we could, I wish we could do that in real life. Like I wish we had like a little, like, you know, signal bleeping, like I'm angry. Um, (laughs) And I agree with you that I think we can tell when we, you know, see someone's face or we see their body language or anything like that. But I also think you then have to interact with them to get that feedback. And it would might, might be kind of, you know, in a different world, you know, we could all glow. That would be pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be pretty fun. All right. Very cool. So what age would you say the book is geared toward what, uh, toward what is the age range for the readers here? So read alouds and, uh, for the read aloud piece, Oh, mm-hmm. four years old. You could start to read this this book from four, but it's a read aloud. It's reading to them. It's ha- having them guess. It's having them make predictions. By the time children are six to eight, and Amber and I have read the book to several different children as well and had children read it, older children, older siblings, older teens reading it to younger children. And the, the age between six and eight is really when they could start to pick up on the strategies we find. Uh-huh. You know, but when you're uploading books to various places that sell, you get pigeonholed into three to six, uh, five to seven, but 
but I would say the best age range is four to eight. And adults, of course, who can learn the strategies themselves. Of course. I like that idea, though, of the older siblings reading it to the younger ones. I think that's fascinating. I like that idea. That's very cool. Not We only have one child, so she doesn't have anyone to read it to, but she could read it to her stuffies, I guess. <laughs> I also think it's important to um, acknowledge that some kids are more advanced than others, because I've read this to like kids who are about to be four years old, and they just really connected to the crystal crystals and the characters, and they had really good questions. And, you know, so I think that it really is important to pay attention to like academically and like mentally, emotionally where they're at instead of just looking at the number. Oh yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense for sure. So, well, this has been fun and I am excited to check it out myself and kind of get to know these characters on the planet of Tezra. So tell everyone where they can find you, uh, find copies of the book and, uh, and check you out if they want to know more. Yeah, go to lynnmclaughlin.com under the books tab and you'll see all of the information about the series and then there's another link to the first book. We're just about to uh, upload some information about book two, which is is what I'm thinking true. And book three has been written and edited and it's uh, I can check my senses. So we're we're off and running. And what's really cool for any authors that are out there, you have universal links right now. So when it says Amazon universal links, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you click on it, if you're in UK, it will take to you to UK, Amazon. If you're in the US, it'll take you to US. If you're in Canada, it'll take you to Canada. There's lots of little tricks to the trade these days. <laughs> and we're happy to sign personalized copies and mail them out as well. Fantastic. Okay, well, we will make sure that we have links in the show notes for all of this. So if you are out driving while you're listening to this, just make sure you go to the show notes and you can find it all there. So fantastic. Well, my favorite way to end each interview is with three rapid fire questions. So let's decide who wants to go first when answering. And then I will ask the question and then whoever wants to go first can answer the first one. So Lynn, why don't I start the first one with you? And then Amber, you can take the second question first. How about that? We'll switch off. Okay. So Lynn, my first question is what does minimalism mean to you? Oh, well, my goodness. It's all the, all the stuff that gets in our way that is meaningless. And when you face a life-threatening illness like I did, you really become Mm. clear about what's important and not important. (laughs) So it's what being present in the moment and what here right now is important. The rest of it, push, push aside. Social media, just limit yourself. Cut yourself off. Shut down Facebook for five days. Shut it off permanently. Do what you need to do. But what is important in your life in this moment? And the rest of it doesn't matter. Oh, I love that. Amber, what, what about for you? What does minimalism mean to you? It means finding joy outside of material things. Yes. Both of those. Fantastic. All right. So Amber, I'll start with you on question number two. What's one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share today that you haven't got to already? Oh, that's a good question. I think that the one piece of advice that I have that I haven't shared yet is to speak your truth. Always follow your heart and speak your truth. Okay. And Lynn, for you? Uh, it's a great uh, follow-up, I think, from that. It's uh, pay attention to the signs that are all around you and your own feeling and your own fears. If you're if you're getting up in the morning and you're dreading walking out the door, something, something's got to change in your life, right? Be aware of your stressors and how can you minimize those and walk away from different things. It's really pay attention to the signs. They're all around us every day, but we sometimes get so caught up in our lives we don't even see them. We just plow on through and do the do, 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 gotta, 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 you know, pay attention. Yeah, love it. 
All right. And then Lynn, we'll start with you for this third one. What is making you happy right now or in this season of your life? Well, um, just had my oldest son got married and Amber, her wedding is uh, coming up in September. So it's a wonderful time in my life to celebrate adult um, children, nephews, nieces, and all of the future. Well, I mean, how many great nephews and nieces do I already have, Amber? I can't, I don't know. But it's a really lovely time um, to celebrate family. It's just, it's family. It makes me so happy. I love that. And you, Amber? This kind of go on, goes in line with family, but for me, it's like where my relationship is with my son right now, because I've been taking a lot of courses on play therapy and the impact of just like unstructured play with your children. And I just have seen such growth in our relationship from like all the trauma that we've kind of been through in our past and being able to overcome that and become closer. And so I'd say my relationship with my son and the growth within that relationship. Oh, So lovely. So lovely. I think that's a wonderful place to end. Well, I thank you both so much for joining me today on the Want to Be Minimalist show and uh, just we'll be in touch. Cheers. So what'd you think? I'd absolutely love to know what you thought. If you're up for it, come on over to my wannabe minimalist family group on Facebook and share. Sharing what you've learned helps you retain it. Plus, you might say it in a way that resonates with someone else, that maybe they didn't hear it that way during the show. So let's help build each other up and encourage each other on our journeys. And I just love that we're having these conversations now. We all have emotions. Some of those emotions we love more than others, but they are all important. And that is why it's imperative we know how to handle these emotions when they come up. Like Lynn mentioned in the interview, a lot of us were brought up when you just didn't talk about this stuff. You grinned and bared it or you stuffed it down and then, you know, that didn't really work, right? Hopefully by having more open conversations with our kiddos and learning the right coping mechanisms, we will help the world become a better place. Even if it's just our little world that we're able to affect today, it could have a big impact on tomorrow. And thanks again to Lynn and Amber for joining us on the show today and for sharing some great advice. Remember to check out their book and their other resources. And so for more information, head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 113. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 113 to get it all. And as always, thank you for joining me too. If you've made it this far, I would be absolutely thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcast. Your review makes my day and it helps me be able to book more guests on the show for you to discover and learn from. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful day. I will see you back here next week when I will be chatting with Rachel Bailey about your parenting long game and why it is so much better than Band-Aid parenting, both for you and your child. It's a good one, so make sure you don't miss it. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show. Cheers.